5.2 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease. How can you tell if your patient's senior moments are an early sign of Alzheimer's? As a physician, how comfortable are you helping families make tough decisions about independent living? What changes can you make in your practice to better assist patients and families dealing with Alzheimer's disease? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Jill Grimes, a practicing board-certified family physician in Austin, Texas. Dr. Grimes has also been a university health services physician for students and faculty at the University of Texas, a clinical instructor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and a contributing author and editorial board member for the five-minute clinical consult textbook. Welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Grimes. Thank you, Dr. Shu. Today we're discussing what physicians need to know about Alzheimer's disease. Now, 5.2 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease. This is an illness that has clearly touched so many of us in many ways. As an author of a chapter on Alzheimer's disease, what are three things that you think all physicians need to know about Alzheimer's? Well, the first thing is that we just don't like to diagnose diseases that we can't cure, but we need to diagnose this disease. It is common, as you mentioned, 5.2 million Americans 10% of people over the age of 65 and 50% of people over the age of 85 have Alzheimer's disease. I'd encourage all primary care physicians to be comfortable enough to make this diagnosis or at least know someone they can refer to who would be comfortable making the diagnosis. The second thing is I think we need to be able to help the family determine when it's appropriate to restrict certain independent activities like driving, cooking, and managing finances. The third is that we need to really remember this is a disease that is surrounded with hopelessness. When you diagnose someone with cancer, a lot of times they step up and they want to fight the cancer. When you diagnose them with Alzheimer, it often destroys families. So when should a physician suspect Alzheimer's and how would they make the diagnosis? This is probably the most difficult part. Obviously, when an older patient comes in and complains of memory loss, we know we need to rule out treatable causes. You check basic labs making sure they don't have renal or hepatic disease, thyroid disease, B12 deficiency, and syphilis. You look at their medications to make sure they're not just having memory loss as an adverse side effect from a medication. You need to think about depression. But what most physicians aren't comfortable with, though, is what is normal age-related memory loss and what is clearly suspicious for Alzheimer's disease. So let's go through a couple key differences, okay? Sounds great. All right. I think we've all had the experience of bumping into someone at a conference or at the grocery store who you've known forever, but all of a sudden you can't think of their name. That's normal. Normal is to occasionally forget people's names or forget an appointment here or there. What's abnormal is when this starts happening often. You can't remember many people's names or you're missing multiple appointments. The other key is that If you're not having dementia, you'll be able to recall the names or the appointment that you missed later and realize that you had just forgotten them. With Alzheimer's, that recall never occurs. Please give us some other examples if you could. Almost all of us have had times when we can't find our keys, some of us more than others. It's normal not to be able to find your keys or to walk in a room and not remember why you walked in there, again, occasionally. What's abnormal is putting your keys in the freezer. Usually when you find your keys, they're in your purse or where you set down the groceries or some other logical place. You want to start being concerned about dementia when there's abnormal placement. 
Another example is with finances. With Alzheimer's, they start having difficulty with primarily subtraction. If you realize that a patient is having more and more trouble balancing their checkbook, where it used to take one hour, now it takes three hours or five hours or maybe several days, this is very suspicious for Alzheimer's disease. What about people who may be retired and aren't doing some of those day-to-day activities that you're mentioning? That's a great thing to talk about. Retired people often don't know what day of the week it is unless they happen to have read the paper that day. But they can look at external cues to get some information. When you're doing a mini mental status on someone and you're asking them what day of the week it is or what season it is, if they don't have Alzheimer's, they can look at you wearing your turtleneck and sweater and being bundled up, and they can guess that it's winter. If they have Alzheimer's, they don't process those external cues, and they may not be able to tell what season it is. Those are excellent examples. Another thing is that you might see that as people age, their personalities change a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. A lot of people will have some depression in their later years, but when you start seeing rapid mood swings or paranoia, people saying, well, you know, what's going on is that they've lost something in their home because they've misplaced it, for example, putting the keys in the freezer, but they think someone is stealing from them or someone is moving their stuff. When you start seeing things like that, that's when you're more suspicious for a dementia. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu. Our guest is Dr. Jill Grimes, a practicing board-certified family physician in Austin, Texas. Dr. Grimes has also been a university health services physician for students and faculty at the University of Texas, a clinical instructor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and a contributing author and editorial board member for the five-minute clinical consult textbook. We're discussing what physicians need to know about Alzheimer's disease. So now that a physician has diagnosed a patient with Alzheimer's, how do you decide if, when, and how to limit that patient's independence? Well, in a perfect world, I'd really recommend neuropsych testing. This is done typically by a PhD neuropsychologist, and it really quantifies exactly how much loss they have in their ability to calculate and memory and all different facets of their brain. Honestly, though, I think a lot of it is common sense. If a person can't subtract, and when you're doing the mini mental status exam, they can't do their serial sevens, they probably shouldn't be managing their finances alone. They may be able to make major decisions still, but they probably need someone supervising them. Really listen to the families. If the family tells you that a patient left gas burners on the stove or they're forgetting to pay their bills or they're getting confused with their medicines, listen to them. If they're telling you that when he is or she is driving, that she's driving erratically, weaving off to the side of the road or pulling out suddenly into traffic and they're worried that they're going to get lost or that they're going to hit someone, really listen to what the family is saying. Believe me, it doesn't make the family's life any easier for the loved one not being to be restricted and not be allowed to drive. So if they're telling you that, you need to listen and you need to be willing to step up and be the so-called bad guy to say, look, I'm sorry, it's not safe for you to drive anymore. The families have to live with their loved ones, obviously, 24 hours a day. And they're watching this person decline bit by bit. And when it comes from them to their husband or wife or to their parent saying, you can't drive anymore, a lot of anger gets taken out on that person. So let's step up as physicians and make that call. Now, you've had the perspective of a physician who cares for Alzheimer's patients, as well as a daughter of a mother who died of Alzheimer's disease. Is there anything that's changed in your own management of patients? Yes. 
I look at it from a completely different perspective now, as you might imagine. I think the biggest thing to recognize is just how hopeless and helpless the people themselves and their families feel. And you really want to jump in right away, get them hooked up with the local chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. That's a terrific organization that offers lots of very specific guidance, everything from living wills to just practical suggestions of what to do when someone wanders. Once the diagnosis is kind of set in to the patient and the family, encourage them early on to have frank conversations about their end-of-life expectations. Nobody wants to be a burden to their family. But some people's greatest fear is ending up in a nursing home. Other people's greatest fear is that they'll be this doddering, demented old person that the younger family members remember, and they'd much rather be in a separate place. But they need to talk about these issues while the patient has real input to relieve guilt on the family later when it's time to make those difficult decisions about assisted living. Those are excellent ideas. And normally, patients might see their physician every six months. Is that something that you recommend? No, that's just too far apart. For neurologists, that's probably the most they can manage in a busy practice. But in primary care, you need to schedule follow-up at least every three months. A lot goes on with patients with Alzheimer's disease, and also they don't want to be going to the doctor only to talk about, as my mother used to say, losing her mind. It's pretty depressing. But usually, someone who's elderly is going to have some other medical condition, whether it's hypertension, hyperlipidemia, arthritis, There's got to be something else that you can schedule a follow-up for. And that way you're sort of keeping an eye on how they're doing, but also that gives family members a time to come in if the patient's having trouble sleeping or they've got other issues or maybe they just even need to vent for a little bit to a medical professional. I think it's important to see them more frequently. What, in your experience, have you found to be especially effective as treatments for Alzheimer's? Music. I would have to say Music therapy is just terrific, and it doesn't need to be an organized thing. There are wonderful musical therapists who do terrific jobs in nursing home settings and other outpatient settings, but it's as simple as playing music that the patient remembers from their youth, basically. Sort of scary to think what our generation will be listening to. We'll have MTV videos, I suppose. But It's amazing how you take someone who's unable to recognize their family members anymore, but you start singing Christmas carols, and they sing along, and they become animated, and often as they continue to sing, they actually become more lucid. I really wish we had started using music earlier. There's some wonderful websites that sell products for seniors with memory loss that have sing-along videos and other games and things that you can play from performers from their era. The other thing is basically think about childhood games, playing ball, not something organized, but just tossing a ball back and forth, doing simple crafts, sitting around looking at pictures and organizing pictures, even if they don't remember who they are. And last, I would suggest pets. Pets are wonderful. Animals and pet therapy bring tremendous joy to people who no longer even communicate, but they enjoy the pets. They're not threatening, and they love on them, and they are happy. Well, what do you think about people who want to exercise their brains with puzzles like crosswords or Sudoku or other computer-type things that patients can use? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I think that any kind of either mental or physical puzzles are terrific. Sudoku tends to be a little bit frustrating for most patients by the time they're diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease because the majority have some difficulty with numbers. And even though you're not calculating anything with that particular puzzle, that seems to be more difficult. So I would encourage more things like simple crossword puzzles or seek and find word seeks, that sort of thing. 
The other thing is, remember, if your thinking is cloudy, you want to maximize your input from all your other senses. So as a physician, check their hearing, check their vision and their touch, and get them treated for any deficits that they have in those areas. If they work on the computer and they're starting to have some visual difficulties, be aware that there's keyboards for people with impaired vision that are larger keys and different colors that will extend the life of them being able to participate with different computer activities. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Jill Grimes. We've been discussing what physicians need to know about Alzheimer's disease. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hsu, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157, and thank you for listening.